very good to be with you. Thank you for your warm welcome. And uh, it makes it easier for us to keep our promises, as uh, visiting preachers perhaps do say, that we will remember you in our prayers. And uh, very good to renew fellowship with those I have known before and those who I have come and am coming to know. So we bring warm greetings from Beacon Park Baptist Church. If you ever are in the southwest, Notice I don't say West Country. I noticed the preacher last week might have said West Country. He would consider he lives in the West Country, but I better not uh, enter into any controversy at all. But if you're ever in the true Southwest, you're most welcome to come and visit us in Plymouth. And there'll be plenty of room for all. We're blessed with a large building. Well, I'd like us to turn this evening to, well, a verse that we read. It's verse 24 of Matthew 26. Let me just read it. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And if we take a text, it is from that verse. It's just four words, woe unto that man. And a woe pronounced from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is a very serious matter. It's a very... Sad thing. What an awful thing it will be if these words come to be true of us that the Lord Jesus Christ will have to say, Woe unto you because of our actions, our beliefs, the lives that we have lived. Woe unto that man. Now the man, of course, who was being referred to was Judas, Judas Iscariot, uh, the uh, experts like to give us lots of reasons why he's called Judas Iscariot, probably because he's not the other uh, uh, disciple who has uh, the name Jude, Judas. Well, Iscariot, is it his character? Is it his country? Is it his commission? Some tell us that uh, his name is Ishkirioth. He's an inhabitant of Kirioth. That uh, may not uh, appeal. I think this rather appeals. Ishkariota, because he was a treasurer Ish Karat, the one who cuts off. Ish Shakrat, the one who gives a reward or a bribe. I suspect because he had the bag. That's what marked him out. He was the treasurer of the apostolic band. He had responsibility for the money. And of course, the one who has the responsibility for the money must be uh, someone who is trusted, someone who can be relied upon, someone who's not going to succumb to any covetousness or any snare that would come with that particular office. This man, Judas Iscariot, was given so much. It's almost impossible to convey, isn't it? He saw the Lord Jesus Christ day by day. He heard his teaching. He saw his example, his spotless example of perfect behavior, never a sinful word, thought, or deed. He saw miracles many of which the scripture tells us were not recorded. Because if they were all recorded, it's almost as though there wouldn't be enough room in the world for the vast library that would need to be kept. And when we read, and sometimes we do, and rather foolishly people seek to find fault with the scripture, particularly with blind beggars, oh, on the way into Jericho, on the way up to Jerusalem, oh, 
There were two on the way into the city, says one gospel narrator. Ah, there was one on the way out, says another. Two on the way out, says another. They can't all be right. Well, actually, they can all be right. And the likelihood is that there were 50 at every gate and 50 on the way out as well. Just a small number recorded according to the purpose of the gospel narrative. But Judas Iscariot would have seen it all. What opportunities, what privileges he had. And yet, isn't it a sad thing to think that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ were, Woe unto that man. No gratitude, no loyalty. All he was after was a betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. It's almost scandalous, isn't it? It's almost unbelievable. Well, I'd like us uh, this evening, I'm conscious it's the evening, I'm conscious it's warm, I'm also conscious <laughs> the wet weather that I said was coming up after me from Plymouth uh, arrived, and some, but it is still warm, isn't it? Um, just three points this evening, very simple. First of all, the man. I'd like to consider Judas very quickly, Judas Iscariot, the man. Secondly, his master. The one whom he served, whether consciously or otherwise. And thirdly, his misery. And then perhaps, as time permits, we can make some application. Well, first of all, the man. Matthew in chapter 10 and verse 4. Mark in chapter 3 and verse 19. They tell us that Judas, which also betrayed Jesus. He was a betrayer. Luke 6.16 tells us, which also was the traitor. John 6.70, he had a devil. And John 12.6, he was a thief. He was a traitor and a thief, and he had a devil. He was quite a remarkable individual. He had a motivation to betray. We read that, didn't we, in Matthew 26. What was his motivation to betray? Now, we'd have to do a little bit of comparing gospel narratives, which I don't want to do, but please do look afterwards. When we read that the disciples looked upon this poor woman as she shed the most precious thing she had in the world on the one who presumably she loved the most, preparing him against the day of his burial, then the other gospel narrators make it clear to us that it was Judas who was filled with indignation. And in fact, we're told that this could have been sold for 300 pennyworth. Now, at this point, of course, people get very distracted onto what is 300 pennyworth. Let's just say it's a lot of money. And therefore, he was particularly outraged. But, of course, the scriptures make it very clear again that his outrage was a little bit of a falsehood because, and I will refer to John here, John 12, verse 6 tells us this. He said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. And we read in Matthew 26, verse 4, didn't we? As soon as the Lord Jesus Christ defended this woman, she'd done a good thing, straight away out goes Judas, and he goes straight out to find the scribes, the chief priests, to find those enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 22, verse 6 tells us he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. The betrayal wasn't to say who he was. They knew who he was. 
the betrayal wasn't to tell them where he was. They had a pretty good idea of where he was. The betrayal was to lead them to him where the people weren't so that he could be taken with minimum fuss. And by the time the morning, of course, was up, it would all be virtually over. That was his role, the man. Well, secondly, and again, very quickly, his master. Well, actually, this might not be very quickly. His master. Luke 22, verse 3, tells us that Satan entered into Judas. Now, isn't that a worrying phrase? And for the Lord to say he has a devil, it means that we are vulnerable. Not, I would suggest, to demon possession, but when the devil or Satan had entered into Judas... This is how we more understand it, isn't it? Do you remember with Peter? He had to reprove Peter on one occasion. Who do men say that I am? He asked his uh, disciples. Again, it's that use of the plural. I want to know who you all say that I am. But who say ye that I am? And it's Peter that answers, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you. And he then goes on to explain how he's going up to Jerusalem, that he will be uh, uh, atrociously treated, he'll be handed over to Gentiles and killed. And Peter, never, it shall never be done. He rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ. What a brave man. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebukes him back. You probably know the scripture. And he says, get behind me, Satan. No, it's not saying that Peter is Satan. It's not saying that Peter is filled, as it were, but his actions, his words, his intentions are very characteristic, bore a close resemblance to the thoughts, intentions, and characteristics of which Satan is renowned. He was Satan's man on that occasion, and that's why the rebuke came from the Lord Jesus Christ. John 13, verse 2 says, The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, to betray him. The devil, Satan, perhaps not often mentioned. When I was a youngster, my mother took me to church because I think she thought it would do me some good. I like to think it did me rather more good than she ever thought. But anyway, that's another matter. But, you know, the minister, he was an elderly man. I'm sure he was a very godly man, and I'm sure I didn't give him the respect that he should have had. But he used to say to me, as he mopped his brow and took his jacket off and sat down exhausted, he used to say he always found it so difficult to preach on Satan because he was so aware of the opposition. Well, I wouldn't really want to say anything more than that. And we might say, what a strange thing to think of Satan. But we need to think of the great enemy of souls. He's called the accuser of the brethren in the scripture. That means... If you hear an accusation against a brother, you need to be fairly careful, lest it's actually Satan. Almost as though you have to say to the individual, get behind me, as the Lord Jesus Christ did. There are people who can, and we may be listed among them, if we are those who believe and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ, who can, not knowingly even, but we can be Satan's man Spurgeon, uh, Spurgeon. There's a sermon by Mr. Spurgeon, some of you may know of. It's based on the early verses in Job. Satan comes among the sons of God when they meet. And Spurgeon's point is, do any of you bring Satan 
into the company of the saints. What a thought is that? Just as on that occasion, Peter had brought Satan into the company of the disciples. Get behind me, Satan. Why is Satan so opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is Satan so keen to use individuals like Peter to try and stop the Lord Jesus Christ going up to Jerusalem, to Calvary, to suffer and die? Well, because it's not in his interests that souls should be saved. It's not in his interests that Christ should receive glory. It's not in his interests that God's will and purposes should be done. He's an implacable enemy. And although it would be a very dangerous thing, possibly, maybe not in this congregation, to refer to the book of Revelation, let me just say, for what it's worth, that in the book of Revelation, we know exactly why this is so. Revelation chapter 12 explains so clearly that Satan is an implacable enemy of the living God. I could perhaps just quote a couple of verses. This is verse 12 of Revelation 12. The devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. When I used to read that verse, I thought, that doesn't make sense. If he knows he's only got a short time, surely he just accepts that he's defeated. You may again know Mr. Spurgeon's uh, sermon, or I think it's even a little book now, Satan, a defeated foe. Why, if he's only got a little time, does he have great wrath? Well, it's because rather like if someone is cornered. I'm afraid I do apologize to all dog owners. I've never owned a dog. I'm sure they're wonderful companions, and there's many, many good things can be said. But there are some sad things you hear about dogs, aren't there, that perhaps aren't trained, perhaps. Perhaps they are illegal breeds, and they do desperate things. But when they get cornered, presumably by the wardens or even by the police or whatever, do they roll over and say, well, in that case, it's all up with me? No. If anything, they get fiercer. And presumably, as they get cornered, they have great fight, and they can inflict great injury. That's Satan. He's a a very vindictive, he's a very hateful foe. Verse 17 of Revelation 12 says this, he went to make war with the remnant of the woman's seed. I don't think it is controversial, actually, to say the woman's seed there are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's if we're uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this evening, that's us. We will find that Satan will indeed seek to make war. He'll seek to get an advantage. He'll seek to use us for his purposes. It may be that we're not a believer this evening and we find this all rather strange to the ear. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But for those who do know or seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be aware of the one who clearly motivated and moved Judas Iscariot to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 tells us this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Note a roaring lion. That's not a roaring noise, dear friend. That means that he has a fierceness, that he has a hostility, that he will tear, that he will spoil, that he will lay low, that he will destroy, if he possibly can. Now, it's a wonderful thing to think that there are certain things Satan cannot do. That's not our purpose this evening. But what a wonderful 
What a wonderful news, isn't it? He can deceive the nations no more, Revelation 20 tells us. And that's why we can see the gospel going throughout this wide world as we've just sung. Rather like the sun coming up and giving light and life to all that it uh, shines upon, so the Lord Jesus Christ, risen with healing in his wings, is now Lord and Saviour of the church. Not just the church in one land, but the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan cannot, and he may try, but he cannot do many things, and he cannot deceive the nations anymore. He also can't take salvation from one who believes upon the living God, but he is able to do an awful lot of damage and seemingly successful. We thought this morning of Luke 22, verse 31, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. If you are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be temptations, there will be a battle in your life. In fact, it's one of, many would argue, it's one of the key marks of grace, that if you are subject to trials and tribulations brought about by an enemy of your soul, that is good evidence that you are an heir of salvation. If you are very quiet and you're thinking, what is all this about? There doesn't seem to be any trouble in my life. I don't know what he's talking about. This preacher must have brought some nonsense up from the southwest. Then that probably says more about you than it does about me. Although I say that very humbly and graciously, of course. But he will desire. It gives him great pleasure. He loves to sow discord. One of his names in the Bible means destroyer. He loves to destroy what the Lord Jesus Christ has built. When Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I don't think the Satan says, oh, well, in that case, what's the use of trying? I suspect he tries all the more to try and defeat the spread of the gospel and the growth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment in the ways of Christ of his people. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ prays for his people. We thought about that this morning, that wonderful picture on the uh, Sea of Galilee as they were toiling in rowing, but we could look at John 17, 9. I pray for them. I pray for them that thou hast given me. And seemingly, Satan has successes. Mentioned Peter already, get behind me, Satan. We could mention another success, that Peter would deny the Lord three times. And he did, didn't he? And on the third denial, Luke tells, is it Luke? I think it's Luke tells us that his eyes met, Peter's eyes met the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Another victory for the enemy of souls. Let me just read this from Mr. Spurgeon. Satan considering the saints. It strikes me if Satan could be absolutely certain that any one soul was chosen of God, he would scarcely waste his time in attempting to destroy it, although he might seek to worry and to dishonor it. It is, however, more likely that he no more knows whose God's elect are than we do, for he can only judge as we do by outward actions, though he can form a more accurate judgment than we can through longer experience and being able to see persons in private where we cannot intrude. By their fruits, he knows them, and we know them in the same manner. Since, however, we are often mistaken in our judgment, he may be too, 
And it seems to me that he therefore makes it his policy to endeavour to destroy them all, not knowing in which case he may succeed. What wisdom is this? He goes about seeking whom he may devour. He's putting emphasis on that word may, not who he will devour, who he may devour. And as he knows not whom he may be permitted to swallow up, he attacks all the people of God with vehemence. Someone may say, how can one devil do this? He does it not by himself alone. I do not know that many of us have ever been tempted directly by Satan. We may not be notable enough among men to be worth his trouble. But he has a whole host of inferior spirits under his supremacy and control. And as a centurion said of himself, so he might have said of Satan. He saith to this spirit, do this, and so he doeth it. And to his servant, go, and so he goeth. Thus all the servants of God will more or less come under the direct or indirect assaults of the great enemy of souls, and that with a view of destroying them. For he would, if it were possible, to deceive the very elect. We need to say, don't we? We must be sober. We must be vigilant. We must be watchful. We have an ever-present enemy, and he will seek to loose our hold, to loose our love, to loose our loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we need to get to know ourselves, because our enemy most certainly does. We need to know what our most vulnerable spots are, because our enemy most certainly does. We need to know what is going to come, as it were, as a little bit of a barrier between us and our Lord, because Satan most certainly knows what does. It may be all manner of things. He has a whole arsenal of weaponry at his uh, disposal. And to think he knows us better than we know ourselves. I was very interested, uh, not that this is a comment at all on any current affairs, but uh, with talk of a great offensive taking place in uh, Ukraine. And the Ukrainian army sort of probing, seeking to find if there's a weakness anywhere in the Russian defense uh, that's been established in that land. And it made me think a little bit of Satan. He prods and pushes and he sees what we may succumb to. We'll succumb to pride. That's a good one, often used. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think we're being taken for granted. We're not get, being given the position or the praise that we deserve. He will use uh, covetousness as with Judas. We want something that's not ours. Our hearts are set on it, and we'll have it at any cost. It may be some other temptation. It might be a sensual delight. It may even be, in the light of uh, our sermon this morning, it might even be a love of ease, and are not wishing to uh, soil our hands with any hard work in the Saviour's service. It might be any measure of thing. Think of Job. Have you considered my servant, God, is set forth, uh, upright and satan says yes but not for no reason doth job serve thee for naught take away everything he's got you'll hear a different account so satan takes away all he's got his wife even calls upon him to curse god and die <clears throat> of course job doesn't do that satan tries again ah take his health away god says okay but not his life and so Poor Job, he's sorely tried. Notice Satan can't go beyond what he's permitted to do. He is tethered and bound. That's how I would understand Revelation 20, but that's another matter. And therefore, he is not permitted to do what he would 
desire to do, but he can do an awful lot. He seeks with individuals, individual weaknesses, individual desires, individual uh, <coughs> delights to cause us to fall, to stray, to become impotent in service in the work of the living God. Now, you may say, and quite reasonably so, <laughs> you're not talking about me at all. I don't recognize this. Well, in a way, that may be a good thing. Because if you don't recognize this, dear friend, again, I have to say, it does rather say a lot about you in the light of God's word. And some very precious words are in Matthew as well as in Luke, but I'm going to read them from Luke. It's only two verses in Luke chapter 11, but these are words which I think it's worth underlining if we're taken to underlining in our Bibles. This is Luke 11, verses 21 and 22. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace... His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. What's that mean? Well, it's speaking of Satan himself. He keeps his goods in peace. It's rather like we see in some nations, even in these days, such sad things. They're not told what's going on in the world. We even hear of some nations where there is, at this present moment, widespread starvation. And yet news doesn't spread outside. The uh, media are controlled. The people are told what they uh, need to hear, as the leadership would tell. There's no free press at all. The people are kept, as it were, kept down. Strong man armed keeps his goods in peace. That means if we're an unbeliever, if we cannot say we're a Christian, then yes, we probably are at peace. We probably think that life is not all it could be. We probably think that things could be better. But we're certainly not subject to the temptations, the trials, the vindictive hostility, the undermining work of the enemy of our souls. Because if we were so thinking, we might begin to believe not only that there's an implacable enemy of the living God, but there is a living God. We may begin, begin to think that not only is uh, there an implacable enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is a Lord Jesus Christ. No, we're kept in peace. And that's why people are not uh, troubled. And perhaps those who have been brought to the Lord in later life can say, we weren't troubled as youngsters. We all believe in God, didn't we? How often do you hear that in a testimony? I can't remember a time when I didn't believe in God. Yes, but that's not really saying anything, friends, is it? Because the Lord says, or the scriptures say, the devils believe and fear. If our testimony was that uh, we can't remember a time when we never believed in God and yet we feared, then that might be something. But we don't fear because we're kept in peace. You see, the enemy of our souls, the prince of the power of this world, we could go through many of his titles... He has this plan, this battle plan, this sworn purpose that he will keep his people in darkness. He will keep his people in peace. And as the stronger than he comes, now we know who that is, don't we? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a battle. There's a fight on. It's a battle for souls. And the wonderful thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ will always win. Isn't that wonderful? Because he has come to seek and to save 
not to seek and fail to save. He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Each one of us, all in this world, will know something of this enemy, one who the Lord Jesus Christ speaks quite often of, because either he will be keeping us in ignorance, supposedly peaceful ignorance, or he will be seeking to pull us down and betray us and loosen our hold if we believe and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. A vindictive enemy, the master of Judas. Now, of course, he found a very receptive person in Judas. The man, the master, and the misery. Poor Judas. Well, we'd need to read on, but he came to a point when he thought to himself, what have I done? Matthew 27, verse 3, says he repented. Matthew 27, verse 5, tells us he went and hanged himself. Acts 1 tells us he burst asunder and all his bowels gushed out. He didn't have a very pleasant end. How do we understand that? Well, in Matthew 27, verse 5, yes, he probably did. As some would say, he, in the process of hanging himself, the rope broke. He fell on something fairly sharp and he did burst open. Others would say that the hanged means that he was choked with grief and therefore he fell and sadly burst open. But he took his own life. What a miserable life. In Psalm 69 verse 25 we see quoted, Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Let me just read as we uh, come to conclusion, Psalm 109, which speaks of Judas. Psalm 109, verse 8. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds, and beg. Let them seek their bread also, out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any favor extended to his father's children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out, etc., etc. It goes on and on, Psalm 109, judgment upon Judas. Why was this judgment upon him foretold? Well, because he did this terrible deed. He was the instrument used whereby the Lord Jesus Christ was taken, whereby he was uh, delivered, and whereby he was supremely put to death. Woe unto that man, and woe unto that man. Now, time just for a few applications. You know, one of them must be that we should beware of covetousness. There are certain snares in this world, in fact, rather a lot of them, that can steal our focus and our attention and open us up to be vulnerable. We have a vulnerability. You know, if it comes to uh, an illness, I hesitate to mention a pandemic because I'm sure some here have some very sad uh, memories, as do I, of family members, uh, wider family members or individuals we knew who didn't survive the pandemic, and these things are very sad. But what did we do? Well, we locked down. Did we take vaccinations? Not here to discuss vaccinations, but we take precautions. It may be that so we have our flu jab. Why? Well, we take precautions. 
What a foolish thing if we don't take precautions when we have an, in, an indefatigable enemy who will lose no time and will spare no effort in seeking to cause this to be said of us. Woe to that man. And if we have got those uh, open invitations, we are rather proud, perhaps a proud young or old person. Perhaps we do have uh, all sorts of aspirations which are not uh, based uh, upon the word of God and the desire for the glory of the Savior. Then perhaps Satan can use us. Do you remember Demas, of whom the apostle had to say this, probably with a breaking heart, and perhaps with a choking uh, voice, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. What a sad thing that was. That was Satan. This may be a case of woe unto that man, because he would rather have the riches, the time, the luxuries, perhaps the notoriety, perhaps the uh, uh, influence of the world, rather than serve the living God with the apostle. Demas hath forsaken me. There are many others who we could mention. No man stood with me, as the apostle says. Beware covetousness. The Bible says, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. As believers, if we are believers tonight, we should fear the enemy of souls. And we shouldn't say, but this is a good man. He wouldn't do this. Because was Peter a good man? Did he do that? Yes, he was a good man. And he did do that. And therefore, Satan is ever seeking those whom he can use to counter or to obstruct the work and the extension of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We mustn't be one of them. Secondly, we must fear the one, the Lord Jesus Christ said. Not the one who can kill the body, although I'm sure it's very legitimate to fear him, but fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. A spiritual enemy. We need to be watchful. Be sober, be vigilant, Peter writes. And therefore, don't give an open invitation. We don't leave the front door open, do we? And uh, if we did, we would perhaps feel that it was our fault if someone came in and helped themselves to our goods. We shouldn't leave the front door of our lives open and invite in the one who is the enemy of our souls and who will take much more from us than the burglar or the thief who would break in. He walks about as a roaring lion. And he was doing that, and he found welcome in the life of Judas. It would have been better if he had not been born. You know, the Bible tells us to resist him. It tells us that if we withstand him, then he will flee from us. It gives us a wonderful example in the way the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with him. It is written, the word of God, those who secured the victory by the word of God, by their testimony, and of course by the blood of the Lamb. We resist him. He flees from us. We wear that gospel armor that the scripture speaks to us about, and then we can continue uh, undefeated. Do you know, you may know the, uh, the hymn, Will but tempt you vainly if you tell him plainly. I can all things, all things do 
through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, John Bunyan um, is such a wonderful, uh, uh, well, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, parts one and two, was just so wonderful to read, aren't they? So true of the soul. Do you remember John Bunyan comes out of the, he has Christian coming out of the house of the interpreter in part one, and he's going towards the Palace Beautiful. That's the local church, such as assembled here. And there are reasons why people do not want to uh, throw in their lot with the local church. And he has, John Bunyan has Christians seeing people running towards him and saying, don't go that way, don't go to the Palace Beautiful. There are lions in the way. And if you know Pilgrim's Progress, of course, uh, Christian <laughs> ventures down there and he notices something about these lions. They're chained to the wall. And if you've seen some of the etchings or some of the pictures that, uh, not the originals, I hasten to add, but anyway, that they accompany uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you see these chained lions and you see Christian sort of with his back to the wall making his way past them. They're chained, they're vicious, they're roaring. Hymn writer on Psalm 91 puts it this way, Satan roaring for his prey may hate but cannot harm. What a wonderful truth that is. And therefore, there may be all manner of hostility and temptation threatened, but he cannot. And therefore, as John Bunyan would have, we are safe if our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be careful not to be the one to bring Satan into the company of believers. And perhaps I can uh, quote finally William Hendrickson. Again, I quoted him this morning. He's a 20th century American commentator. I find many of his comments very helpful. He says this, The shocking tragedy of Judas' life is proof, not of Christ's impotency to save, but proof of the traitor's impenitence. Woe to that man. Well, we should be also fearful, shouldn't we? of the strength and the power of unbelief. We must be conscious of the power and the strength of the enemy of our souls, how we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, how we need to know his guardian grace, his keeping power. You may know the hymn that speaks of if all the hosts of death, speaks about the rages and the malice, of all unknown, put there most dreadful. And he speaks and he builds up this picture and he ends with this wonderful statement, I shall be safe for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. What a glory that is to a believer. Don't play fast and loose with the enemy of souls. Resist him, he'll flee from him or stand, withstand and he will not succeed. He's seeking whom he may devour. But if you think he's, uh, he's not worth sparing time on, if you feel that uh, after being a believer for a few years, you'll be able to stand, you can look after yourself. Oh dear, what a sad thing that is. Because he will take you, and he may put you out of action. He may disrupt your fellowship with the Lord. He may cause you to be one of whom it may be said, woe to that man. It had been better if he had not been born. Well, may that never be said of us. May we take warning 
our adversary, the devil, walking about, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. May we be strong in the Lord and may we help and support one another that we may be together resistant and not be the one who brings Satan into the company of the saints. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord our God, we do thank Thee for the warnings that are given us in Scripture about the foes and the enemies that we shall face if we seek to follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help us that we should be prepared. May we not, as it were, daydream into temptation and disaster. Help us to be strong in the Lord, and we do pray that we may know that glorious truth that the Lord Jesus Christ will keep us and protect us, and even angels as ministers to the heirs of salvation shall keep us lest we dash our feet against a stone. Lord, help us. May we take warning. We do thank thee for a day in thy house. We thank thee for the glorious thought that all our trials and tribulations, our toilings and sorrows are known to our Lord, to our Saviour. We thank thee that he sees and he knows and he prays. And even with Peter, who was assured, Peter, I have prayed for thee. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Help us, Lord, that we may be such. And keep us until we meet again. And we ask these mercies in the Saviour's name, for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 537, God Made Me for Himself to Serve Him Here. Number 537.
love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the comfort and communion, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.